we will never allow another car be in our market period period so there is nothing we will not do over our dead body there'll be another car that's clear the role that sebi has to play is not to tell listed companies what to do what not to do i've been a sell side investment banker myself so the last thing i want to do is to kill that profession the minute you bring it within the total expense ratio automatically the board of the mc will ask the question why are you paying mr xyz broker so much money today no one was asking that question because it was not pinching anyone other than the unit holder we cannot have perpetuity of special rights granted to any shareholder including promoters we cannot have perpetuity of board seats if there is a difficulty in implementation we are completely and i repeat completely open to saying that we have no problem if there is alignment on the objective we are all going north That's the no-nonsensical and outspoken Madhavi Puri Butch, the chairperson of India's Capital Markets Regulator SEBI. Appointed last year in March, she is the first woman and first person outside the IAS to head the Securities and Exchange Board of India. This month, she is completing half of her three-year tenure, and it has already been marked with several eyebrow-raising orders and regulations. In fact, she has made SEBI the talk of the Indian capital markets. Market regulator SEBI has flagged various reforms that are in the pipeline. SEBI revoked the license of Brickwood. SEBI is also framing rules for social media influencers who are doling out financial advice. SEBI ordering AIFs to offer direct plans. SEBI has finally taken the first steps towards bringing digital mutual fund aggregator platforms like MF Central, Covera, Grow and Zerodha under the regulatory ambit of the Securities and Exchange Board of India banned the brokerage firm IAFL Security from onboarding new clients for the next 2 years and it's not just the change logo but sebi's efficiency has also picked up pace five quarters ago 19 cases were pending more than 3 months today this number is down to 7 so you used to have mutual fund schemes pendency which was in the 175 number mark and today it is down to 6 on the eif side again you'll see similar pattern close to about 70 pending items 5 quarters ago down to just over 40 but this hyperactivity of the regulator isn't going down with several market participants investors and companies but most people aren't comfortable coming on record to air their concerns But SEBI is the investigator, it is the jury, it is the judge, it is the executor, it is everything. So that is a fundamental flaw in the construct, and that's where numbers show that more than one third of your orders are getting overturned. That's corporate lawyer Krishna Vadhat, who is the managing partner of Argus Partners and serves as an independent director on boards of several listed companies. He has seen an increase in queries from his clients seeking clarity on the SEBI regulations. For mutual funds it is a regulation related to that total expense ratio. For foreign portfolio investors or FPIs it is more disclosures about their beneficial ownership. For alternative investment funds or AIFs it is about transparency standardization and better governance of their funds. For listed companies it is norms related to disclosures under the revised LODR regulations. as well as ESG 
So basically, there is hardly any stakeholder in the capital markets that has been left untouched by SEBI and its regulations. Be it mutual funds, PMS providers, brokers, institutional investors, startups, real estate or infrastructure investment trusts, listed companies, and even the finfluencers. If the ecosystem is working with a different speed, and if SEBI was not acting with the same speed, SEBI will be left behind. SEBI will be questioned that why the hell what you are you doing why you are sleeping. So SEBI has to keep pace with this thing. That's JN Gupta, former executive director of SEBI, and now the managing director at Proxy Advisory Firm, Stakeholder Empowerment Services or SES. Now all this raises several questions. Is SEBI right in being on steroids? Why are some market participants not happy with it? Is the market regulator going beyond its brief? Is that the reason why the Securities Appellate Tribunal or SAT ends up overturning some of the SEBI's orders? And how does the regulator balance the extracting of compliance in spirit while not disrupting the ease of doing business? SEBI didn't respond to our queries or to our invitation to participate in this podcast. It's Tuesday, 8th of August, and I'm your host Kiran Somanshi from The Economic Times. And in today's episode, we shall be delving upon whether all is right with SEBI's proactiveness in regulating the Indian capital markets. This is the morning brief. Yesterday, SEBI released its annual report for the financial year 2023. It lays down the regulator's plans of more disclosures for conglomerates and unlisted companies. In fact, SEBI has chalked out 11 major tasks to strengthen the capital market ecosystem. These include plans related to reducing compliance cost, mandating digital assurance, devising price mechanism for delisting of shares, secondary market development, trade settlement for investors, regulation for index providers, and fraud detection. While this exhaustive list may overwhelm a few, this approach of SEBI is not new. SEBI has been proactively churning out regulations based on consultation papers. The market regulator has issued a record number of 40 consultation papers in the first seven months of 2023, as my colleague Rajesh Maskaranas reported in Economic Times last week. Just for comparison, let me tell you, there were 19 consultation papers issued in the whole of last year and 24 in 2021. The mutual fund industry ended up questioning the survival of its current business model when SEBI asked it to rationalize its total expense ratio, which is the expense that mutual fund schemes charge their investors. In response, the industry shared data with SEBI and the regulator has deferred its decision for now and is coming up with a second consultation paper. On the other hand, the AIF industry is yet to come to terms with SEBI pushing for more standardization and disclosures and becoming more prescriptive in its regulations. And the bulk of listed companies shall now have to figure out compliances that involve confirmation or denial of market rumors, disclosing of business contracts to family settlements, actions taken by any authorities, matters concerning senior employees and new ESG regulations. According to data in SEBI's annual report for 2023, 
SEBI's inspections of BSE stockbrokers have more than doubled to 833 in a year. In case of merchant bankers also, 42 merchant bankers were inspected in financial year 2023 compared to 8 in the previous year. Now, given this context, I was tempted to ask Mr. Krishnavadat whether SEBI has become more efficient and proactive in the past one year. If you look at any regulator, it's not necessarily that proactive is a good word and reactive is a bad word. In a market regulator across the world, they're dealing with shifting sands. It's a very dynamic market. And therefore, you necessarily have to be always reactive. You've got to actually feel the pulse of the market, where it's going, take the clues and react. It's not always that proactive is always better because you don't want to assume something where to go and then be proactive. It's a mix of both. But having said that, you must understand that the Indian landscape has also changed together. Last 10 years, if you look at how Indian Inc. has moved, largely the Indian corporate world was dominated by promoter and company. That's been drastically changing because of the unicorns coming up, the entrepreneurship. So suddenly you have the CEO form of founder entrepreneurs creating company where they don't necessarily have the largest stake in the company. And therefore you have the pies divided between the larger investors and the larger stakeholders. And that means that SEBI is moving from traditionally family-run company to a far more diversified shareholding. And therefore, it has to be more reactive, far more on the job and keep on rolling out. In terms of numbers, I think, you know, if you look at the last three years, it's been consistently, they have about 150, 160 circulars, if you look at quantitatively, per year. So 21, 22 would be about 160, 22, 23, about 157. Circulars this year till 4th August would be about 60 circulars. So obviously the number has gone up in the last three years. It's not this year the number has gone up. What I mean to say the number has obviously gone up because they are regulating far more. And I guess they are reacting to the very fast changing market. I turned to Mr. J.N. Gupta to know why the regulatory intensity has increased. Complexity of regulation is directly proportional to the Trust deficit that is there between regulated entity and regulator. And today we have a system or place where there is an enormous trust deficit between regulated entity and regulator. So what happens, there is a tendency that I want to do this, then I will go to a lawyer. If the lawyer doesn't give me a satisfactory opinion, I say you are a useless lawyer, I will go to another lawyer. Till such time I get a way out not to comply with the law. So these things keep on gathering. Then suddenly there will be a problem, there will be a fraud or there will be system failure. Then question will be asked to SEBI. So SEBI will again look back where are the failures. So in order to plugging the loophole, I will make another law. To plug another loophole, another law. The issue is this, if we reduce the trust deficit, probably things will be better. And trust deficit cannot be reduced by SEBI alone. It has to be from both sides. But I was curious to know from Mr. Dath if SEBI's speed has indeed impacted the quality of its regulations. So it's a tricky situation for SEBI to be in. They need to be fast. The nature of the beast is such because it's dynamic. It's extremely dynamic. Far more than even the central bank would be dealing with. So obviously there's a need for speed. But at the same time, when you're dealing with the needs for speed, there is bound to be certain language issues. You're, you're trying to stitch together a lot of things. You know, recently, this whole issue on this disclosure regime of 30A, which they inserted in SEBI regulation, and the whole 5A to the mandatory disclosure, which says 
shareholders agreement has to be disclosed, promoters agreement has to be disclosed. If you look at the language of that section 30, it's so wide. It says anyway in a manner which impacts the management or control of the listed company. And of course, the devil lies in the detail because someone will come and say, we have family settlements. There are family settlements which might impact. Do I need to disclose everything of that? I don't want to. There could be a CEO who's moving jobs, who's getting another job from another company. Does he disclose everything of that? And then therefore, you might want to come back and seek a clarification. So I think they will evolve. And SEBI has in the past also. SEBI has actually... Whenever we've raised issues earlier that, hey, listen, this is an issue which is coming up, SEBI has come up with the changes and brought the changes or the necessary clarifications. So because of such wider sounding regulations, do you have more corporate clients coming to you seeking clarifications on SEBI regulations? Of course, of course, all the time. For example, you know, last year we were very busy when this RPT regulations were coming in. I mean, it was year before last. And there were a lot of issues, a lot of back and forth with SEBI, a lot of clarification. Then finally, you understand the spirit. There is this whole phase of SEBI moving to a disclosure in the AIF regime. As you know that historically, AIF was more mature H&I investors and therefore needed a soft touch regulation as against a mutual fund, which was a retail investor, which needed a hard regulation. But SEBI is moving that slowly away because one thing, EIF is a small ticket size of one crore. A few years ago or five years ago, one crore was a big amount. Today, one crore necessarily in India, there are a lot more people who can afford the one crore. And so there's a lot of EIF says, hey, listen, this is a more private equity, more private investment circle. Keep it into a soft touch regulation. That's one. There are bond markets. SEBI has been trying to push. That's something which I always believe that you can't regulatorily create a market. Market is created by the market itself. You can support a market regulatory, you can't create a market regulatory. SEBI is, you know, in 2019-89, they came up and said 20%, 25% of CAPEX of certain rated companies has to be in corporate bonds, which effectively increases the net cost of borrowing for each of the companies, which straight away is the bottom line. Recently, they came in to push the bond market. They suddenly came and said, all NCDs, if you're listed on 2023, you know, it's like you've got to ensure all subsequent has to be listed. Now, there's a massive amount of money coming in through the private credit channels into the country. Billions and billions of dollars coming into the private credit channel, into these NCDs. And these channels are through category 2 AIF, which is primarily has to be unlisted. The moment you mandatorily make it listed entities, avenue for these billions of dollars are suddenly being closed. But having said that, my experience is they always hear out and they balance it and they come back with something. I know Kiran Bay, because there were murmurs or SEBI is becoming too strong-handed, but I think if you see the woods from the trees, it's not that much. They came up for AIF for these uh, soft touch. They came up with this large value fund concept, you know, that, okay, if you're a large value fund, I will do a soft touch regulation. I won't do a touch To SEBI's credit, it has typically adopted an approach of co-creating the regulations. Here's another extract of the public address of Ms. Bush, where she illustrates this approach. So this very large broker came and said to me that when they are doing KYC of a new customer, one of the first things they look for 
is to see the age of the investor and the date of the PAN card. So if the age of the investor is, let's say, 40, 45, something like that, and the PAN card is very recent, it's an immediate red flag to them that this is likely a mule account, which is being set up for misuse, because a person who is 45 and having first-time PAN card where is the wherewithal for him to be trading in the market? And therefore, most likely, this is a mule account. They turn down the customer. They refuse to open the account. Some of the larger tech-based brokers talked about how they use technology to identify. So another broker came and told us that they had this client who was just making inordinate sums of money, profit, day after day after day. And he said, statistically, this was an impossibility. We shut the guy's account. So I'm saying this is what brokers are doing today. They are showing great responsible behavior. But we need that to be implemented across the board because equally the feedback that came on the other side was that while we have all these very good practices, we also have some brokers, a very small minority, but we also have brokers who are constantly colluding in the opening of mule accounts, in the facilitation of mule accounts, and in basically facilitating all the kind of pump and dump that you have been seeing recently. We passed some very interesting orders. So you are being able to see what all is going on. Every single piece of what we have done has been co-created with the market. Well, despite regulations being co-created through a consultation process, there are grievances from the industry once the regulations are announced. If SEBI actually floats consultation papers, seek feedback, and then comes out with regulations, then post-regulations, why there are issues? Aren't the consultation papers getting enough feedback from the industry directly at that time? Is the feedback kind of ignored by the regulator? What happens? No, what happens, you know, the slips between the cracks and the language of the regulation can be so wide and so sweeping, which might have unintended consequences. SEBI might rightfully say, hey, anything which impacts pricing, if your family arrangements are impacting the management and control of a listed company, which is significantly pays money from the public, the public sheet needs to know. And there is the balance. Or a CEO wants to create a job, we don't want to show his new appointment letter. Those are the bells and whistles and the, the, probably the dots and the crosses of the T's and dotting of the I's, which gets honed, if I may use the word, and that happens. Well, there is other side also to the story that Mr. Gupta shares. The consultation process was aimed to have a reduced trust deficit phenomenon. But unfortunately, what happens, the consultation process is not very effective. The reason is, when I am seeking your advice, a consultation from you, if you give me a biased opinion, which helps only you, which doesn't help other players of the ecosystem, then the other players of the ecosystem are going to give you the equally biased opinion. So look at the regulator when they have got thousand responses with thousand different biases. So how the regulator is going to work? Sometimes you will find the SEBI gets only two or three comments on the regulation because there are two reasons. And I will tell you, I don't want to expose myself. Say, if I don't like it, 
but I am doing something against this provision. The moment I write that, look, I am against this provision, probably I will be the first person who will be asked question and I would be found that I was doing something wrong. So many people will not give a comment because they will be identified. That is the fear. It is a holistic process. You want to play the game, but you don't want to come to the field. And of course, there is also the conviction the industry has about its legal recourse against SEBI. They can very well approach the SAT and later the Supreme Court. And the market participants have evidently taken up the legal route. According to SEBI's annual report for the financial year 2023, there has been a 53% jump in the number of new appeals filed before the SAT from 780 in the previous year to 1,192 appeals. Somehow, the Reserve Bank of India is untouched or is treated as this sanctum, sacrotum sort of thing, the temple nobody should touch. So, in the history of Reserve Bank of India from 1935 till 2023, I think it has been taken to the court only once by a regulated entity. Whereas SEBI, if SEBI doesn't receive a notice from Supreme Court, High Court or SAT in a day, probably they will not get the salary. So that is the difference between the two regulatory systems. Similarly, neither IRDA has faced so many cases, nor PFRDA has faced, nor Telecom Regulatory Authority has. But look at the failures of Reserve Bank and banking supervision. How many banks have failed? Nobody has taken Reserve Bank to the court. Whereas Calco, if NSC system doesn't run for half an hour because of some technology problem or some satellite problem, People ask question, what SEBI is doing, what is happening with SEBI? So I would say it is good and bad both. Good in the sense that SEBI feels very good that they will have such a high expectation of that. Bad, most of the time, goes in SEBI in resolving all the issues which are no issues. And one of the biggest problems that is there is the mindset of our judicial system. That generally sad takes, it is a case of company versus SEBI, whereas it is not a case. SEBI doesn't have a case of its own. SEBI is not fighting for the space. SEBI is fighting of millions and millions of shareholders or traders in the equity market who have been suffering because of something. So the moment SAT starts looking, SEBI as not a litigator as a SEBI, but litigators are faceless investors. Probably things would change. And that is the biggest change I want. So the energy of SEBI people is gone in two things. One in surveillance and then taking the cases to the logical conclusion and then fighting till end. But before we sympathize with SEBI, let's hear what Mr. Dutt has to say on this issue. On one hand, the constitution mandates that the executive and the judiciary will be separate. But SEBI, by virtue of Section 11, 10, you know, it is the investigator, it is the jury, it is the judge, it is the executor, it is everything. So that is a fundamental flaw in the construct. That's actually been one of the biggest critiques from a legal, juridical perspective, you know, because they've got powers of a civil court, they can summon, they can do anything. And if you're the investigator who decides to be the judge and then finally execute, there is going to be a place where you might find yourself in a situation where 
your ultimate judgments get overturned because, you know, almost like what, 30% plus, if you look at the data, I think it comes out from the annual report, almost one third gets overturned. That's a significant number for a quasi-judicial authority. Of course, it's a quantitative, we've not seen the qualitative. That's a concern from the industry for sure, the enforcement and the quasi-judicial powers exercised by SEBI. Think of it this way, if you were the investigator, judge, jury, and the executor, which is uh, other regulators do have it, but that's been, of course, a single critique of SEBI that you can't do that. I mean, there's a straight conflict, right? Forget about qualitative, even from a quantitative perspective, that's huge. We have seen that, right? In recent months, SAT overturning several of SEBI's high-profile orders on Reliance Industries, Brickwork Ratings Agency and IFL Securities. But then SAT also has its limitations. Look at SAT, what they have been writing. And since SAT is a judiciary body, I would not be good for me to write or say anything. But I would only say, just examine their order on PNB Housing Finance where one judge says Article of Association is supreme, other member says no. The other member who had said that Article of Association are not supreme has forgotten that Supreme Court in Tata versus Mystery case has held that Article of Association are bedrock of corporate governance. But at the end of the day, it is the industry that has to pay for all this in the form of increased burden of compliance and litigation. I would tend to agree with a smaller part of the industry that compliance burden is indeed increasing. But then who is increasing cost of compliance? So the issue is this, that day industry learns to comply with spirit, laws will not be required. It is up to the industry to analyze that which compliance are only a paper pushing compliance the second is the industry themselves should say that this is my voluntary code. Now, unfortunately, India voluntary code is only good for seminars. It doesn't happen. But I am finding a lot of change has happened in past 11 years. In mid-80s, 90% or maybe more companies will not report correct profit because the promoter will have a tendency to take the cash out. But the moment they realize the P multiple, if I'm taking 100 rupee out and my P is 20, so I'm losing 20 into 100. So they stop taking out the money from the side and EPS is started increasing. So their price increased, so they benefited. Similarly, the premium of governance that the market pays, if it really hits into their head, most of the governance problem will solve. And that message has to come to the companies from their industries as well. I would say industry, the CII or HHM, whatever they, rather than being a, only a meeting ground for annual function, they should do some serious thinking and make a code of conduct and ensure that this code of conduct is followed. And what better indicator to check the impact of compliance burden on the capital markets than the stock market itself? It's actually quite contrary to the way the markets moved. Last five years, look at the market movement. If it was so bad, so then market wouldn't have moved like, like that. Yeah. You know, 
<laughs> I mean, it was so bad. I can't do business. Yeah, the proof of pudding is in eating it. Yeah, I mean, the market is going to going through the roof. When you are, I can't do business. So obviously, there's something right which is happening, and where there is not only domestic money. For the first time, America had the interest rates up, and we had our equity up. You know, which defies economic logic, right? So, but money was coming in through the FIs, FPIs. So, no denying that there is some element of discomfort whenever there's a new regulation or a new compliance comes in. But I don't think it's something which is so defeating. I don't think so, which is any regulation which has been, you know, inimical to growth. If the regulations are so bad and so so Im- impeding to the industry, then num- Sensex won't have, have gone up like that. The markets won't have gone up. One of the solutions that has been, you know, mooted now and SEBI also seems to be, you know, uh, veering towards that is asking the industry bodies to kind of decide the nitty-gritties of the broad regulations that SEBI puts out. Is that a way out? The problem is this: we want everything to be done by SEBI. We are not wanting to do anything ourselves. And simple example I give you, in history of SOHM, CII, FICCI or all organizations, have they expelled any member for any fraud that the member has done with the investors? No, not a single. So you want your club to be running very well, but you want SEBI to solve the problem of your club. I would say industry body coming is a good suggestion, but it has to be implemented in right spirit. Industry body should not be consulting only those industries which are impacted. It should have representative of all things. Investor representative also. So what happened? You have a holistic solution. Otherwise, you will get a one-sided solution. And one-sided solution would be scrap company, scrap regulation, something we are happy, hunky-dory, ease of business, super ease of business. But you forget that is not super ease of business because if you kill investors, there is nothing. As any economy prospers, it tends to become more litigious. By that logic, as SEBI regulates more, the need for litigation and therefore demand for corporate lawyers is bound to increase. The only thing I see is salaries will keep on going to the roof. So, so recently, Tri-Legal, one of the firms, uh, they announced some 20 lakh starting salary. So obviously, because it's becoming more a regulated, more a high compliant market, Therefore, the risk of non-compliance becomes very high, not only from a regulatory perspective now, but from a valuation perspective, from a growth perspective, from a market perspective. When people start realizing that it is more than just me being dragged to court, it is that suddenly my I am not able to raise capital and sometimes it could be existential. There are a lot of these uh, startup platforms which is coming up where pre-IPO shares being traded. And they would want SEBI to come up with a regulation, say, what can we do? It'll be better for us. And therefore, they are, you know, they say, you know, instead of trying to hide and play hide and seek, we don't know whether we are brokers, like the bond platforms. You know, there was a huge spurt in bond platforms till SEBI came and said, you know what, enough is enough. You've got to become registered as a stockbroker. Okay, good, bad, ugly. Now I know what I have to do. So, the cost of compliance is not just a regulatory cost. It's a valuation cost. It's a growth cost. The new exhaustive regulations have made the job of a compliance professional quite onerous one. 
but I realize that this is imperative. As the economy expands, new investors join the markets, businesses innovate, and business models become more complex. The participative and consultative approach that the market regulator is talking about has to be seen to be playing out. Industry has to be heard on its concerns. And there should be continuity in regulatory policy for the large sophisticated investors to be comfortable investing in Indian markets. This will provide the much needed depth in the markets. Ease to do business means ease to enter and to exit without compromising on governance and investor protection. And the regulator has a tight rope to straddle to facilitate that. To SEBI's credit, it is using data and tech to supervise markets and achieve its objective of capital formation. But SEBI's biggest test under Madhvi Puri Butch would be its investigation report on Adani Heidenberg price manipulation issue that the regulator is to submit by August 14th to the Supreme Court. It will be the litmus test of SEBI's institutional strength, expertise and independence. So that's it for today. This is Kiran Somanchi from The Economic Times and you were listening to The Morning Brief. A special thank you to our guests, Mr. J.N. Gupta and Mr. Krishna Vaddad for sharing their amazing insights. This episode was brought to you by sound editor Rajesh Nayak and producer Vinay Joshi. Executive producers Anupriya Nair, Anirban Chaudhary and Arijit Barman. Thank you for listening. And if you like this episode, do spread the word. A new episode of the Morning Brief podcast drops every Tuesday, Thursday and Friday. Don't miss it. It streams on Amazon Prime Music, Geo Savan, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts. And of course, ET's own audio platform, ET Play. Have a great week ahead. All clips used in the episode belong to the respective owners. Credits are mentioned in the description. 